This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Intelligence Squared Business. I'm Connor Boyle. We're focusing on the travel and hospitality sectors today. How can smart business thinking turn cities into must-visit destinations? We'll be hearing from a panel of experts who think that New York, Tokyo and Singapore take the top spot for the ultimate metropolis for the modern traveller. For this programme, Intelligence Squared partnered with the Singapore Tourism Board to bring together cross-industry experts to discuss some of their favourite global cities. Here's our host, Juliet Kinsman, Sustainability Editor at Condé Nast Traveller, with more. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to have to repeat myself slightly. I hope you'll forgive me. So, hi, I am Juliet Kinsman. I am Sustainability Editor at Condé Nast Traveller. And I am so happy to welcome you here for um, such a special event organised by the Singapore Tourist Board. And, of course, Intelligence Squared and in partnership with... Singapore Imagined Global Conversations. So thank you so, so much. We're starting with the city debate, the ultimate metropolis for the modern traveler, and our advocates are going to argue passionately for New York, Singapore, and Tokyo. And look, I'm, I'm completely independent here. I'm not, I'm not pushing for anyone, so I'm interested to hear what they're gonna say. It really is my great pleasure to introduce to you our city champions. We've got Sarah Martin, who is CEO of Martin Consultancy, and she is an event specialist, although that doesn't even do justice. She double hats as co-founder of My Gym Labs, which is Singapore's premier on-demand private tech-savvy gyms. She is, most importantly, a very proud Singaporean. And uh, her career spans two decades, it's really quite fascinating, of uh, public and private sector work uh, in the arts, sports, entertainment, and wellness. So thank you, Sarah. And we have Josh Glancy. Um, he is special correspondent for uh, the Sunday Times. He has, well, you've written about everything from boxing to Biden. <laughs> and he recently spent five years in the USA working as the newspaper's uh, New York and Washington correspondent. So thank you. And we have Simon Richmond. He's a freelance travel writer and photographer with more than 25 years of experience of researching and writing travel guidebooks and, of course, writing features for magazines and newspapers. He is the co-author of the original Rough Guide to Tokyo and since 2014 has been a contributor to Lonely Planet's Japan guidebooks. I love those guidebooks. We'd actually love you all to join in the conversation, so please join us online on Twitter as well. Tweet us at visitsg underscore UK and intelligence squared, uh, or tweet about the event using the all important hashtags, of course, hashtag IQ2 and hashtag visit Singapore. Thank you so much. Josh, it's time for your opening statement, please. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I hope you can hear me. New York, Jimmy Breslin, possibly the greatest journalist about New York of all time, uh, once said, if, if you leave New York, you ain't going nowhere. And what he meant by that is uh, New York really is the city of cities. It is the capital of the world. And every New Yorker believes that to be true. In fact, they believe it to be true so much they rarely ever bother leaving. But it, it does have that unique, to my mind, sense. And I feel it every time I go into New York from, and you drive from JFK Airport and you get in a taxi and you go over the Williamsburg Bridge and you see those towers of Midtown arrayed in front of you and you feel like you're coming to the center of the world, that nothing else matters as much as what happens on this island. And so I thought I'd just lay out to you a few points about what I love about New York. And I think the first point probably is its geography. The density of New York is critical to its, its power, its charisma, its identity. It 
so more happens on one block in New York than really, uh, you know, half a suburb of London. It is so packed together. It goes up so high into the sky. And I think a lot of that is about the way Manhattan is this small, long island and the way it has the, the water, the rivers around it, the East River, the Hudson River. Um, so I think New York is very blessed with its geography. But really, what New York is, is its personality. It's the charisma. It's this sense that, to misquote Frank Sinatra, that it's New York's world and the rest of us just live in it. They're funnier than us. They're louder than us. They're more creative than us. You go to New York to make it because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And that really is, you know, is the ultimate test. That doesn't mean life in New York's always fun. In fact, it's often exhausting. Every day can feel a bit like an exam. But when you're up, you really are up. And when you're down, you just sort of cry to yourself over a beer and, you know, <laughs> hope tomorrow will be better. But it, it, it really is a city that you can just soar and you can feel like you're absolutely operating at your highest possible frequency. You know, you feel like a, a good day in New York, you will do more, see more, speak to more people, have more sort of excitement in your life than, than you could really pack into a week or a month anywhere else. So personality. Um, I can't really talk about New York without talking about its food, which is still the gold standard, really. And what's special about New York is, yeah, okay, it has the fancy restaurants, the great dining palaces and French uh, brasseries. But what's special about New York food is actually what you find on your average street corner. The average standard is just so incredibly high. The pizza slice joints, the dumpling joints. They are, it is a city that is utterly passionate about food uh, from top to bottom. You know, there are great restaurants in London, but I venture to say, you know, your average pub grub is still pretty mediocre here. That's just not true in New York. Everywhere really punches very highly. The other thing we were asked to talk about was attractions. Well, I don't really, you know, you've seen the fridge magnets. It's, <laughs> uh, it has the best tourist sites in the world. It just does. Statue of Liberty, Empire State Building, Ellis Island, those are the obvious ones, but it also has some extraordinary museums. I mean, you think uh, of Museum Mile, you think of the Met, you think of all the Natural History Museum or the MoMA. Museums and, they are, and their committees are a way of life in New York. You know, being chair of the, of the MoMA is, is, is like being president of New York. And they care about their museums enormously and they are unrivaled. Probably only really rivaled by, by London, I, I would say. I was also asked to talk about wellness. Well, I think here New York struggles a little bit. You don't go to New York to be well. In fact, uh, many of its residents are slightly unwell. Um, I, in fact, New York is the first and only place in my life I've ever taken to seeing a psychiatrist. Uh, not really because I was in any particular trouble, I just, everyone else seemed to be doing it, so I did too. But, but Fran Leibowitz once observed that when you leave New York, you go to the, and you, you can't believe how clean everywhere else is and how, how functional it is. But clean is not enough. Clean is not what nourishes our soul, what feeds our ambition and our dreams. Clean is lovely, clean is pleasant, but New York feeds what's deep inside of us. And... You know, yes, okay, so you do have Central Park, you do have Prospect Park, there are, there, there are trees, you know. Um, you can drive out of New York and be in the Catskills or the Adirondacks, and then, you know, there are beautiful things to do. But um, Josh, I love New York. There you go. I, you're almost running out of time. I mean, we I'm could just talk about New York. Time. God, that was five <laughs> minutes. Okay, <laughs> yeah. right. To I'm wrap so it sorry. Up, my last and favourite quote about New York, it'll be a great city if they ever finish it. <laughs> And I think that's the genius of New York, its ability to renew itself. Thank so, you so much. There you have it. Look, I actually grew up in New York, so you don't have to do much to convince me. You definitely don't go there for cleanliness. But they do have great wellness anyway, to be discussed. So thank you so much, Josh Glancy. That was great. We next are going to make an exciting case for Singapore. Thank you so much, Sarah Martin. Good afternoon. Now, given this forum, no pressure. <laughs> I want to start by unpacking um, what is the modern day traveler, really. Let's just visit that premise, right? Um, there's a business traveler, they travel most frequently, and they have tight schedules. There is the pleasure-seeking ones, and pleasure needs no explanation. Then you have the explorer. You have, they are neither business-minded nor pleasure-minded, but seeking life experiences, knowledge, and deeper connections in a real or virtual world, given this pandemic. The explorer is perhaps our modern-day traveler, who knows? 
But in some ways, the traveller hasn't changed, but what they are seeking now may be different. So in Singapore, the modern-day traveller will be able to explore authentic storytelling from a rich diversity of people. Due to the Balancing Act, and the government's really good at this, right? Urban planning, cultural policy, community engagement, walls between races are reduced and racial diversity is celebrated. And it's within the very fabric of our society. And outside the cultural precincts, a visitor can go off the beaten track and deep dive into our living neighborhoods, similar to New York in a lot of ways, and find out what the local lifestyle is, giving the average visitor a richer and more insightful experience. In keeping with our cultural heritage, a legacy that unites all Singaporeans is our hawker place. We have a definitive obsession about food. But the hawker place is a reflection of our multicultural identity in its offerings. It not only made the UNESCO heritage list, but some actually have Michelin star status, so you can get a meal on a shoestring budget of $5. But we are a country spot for choice. From the homemade to the very fancy, you can have a gastronomical journey and a treat for all the senses. Now, the global traveler these days is very much in tune with climate change and key issues of sustainability. And Singapore has the privilege of being a small city-state. We have the urban landscape and we have the natural landscape. And sometimes it's almost seamless. Today, Singapore is one of the greenest cities in the world, a result of a sustained and dedicated effort to green up Singapore over decades. So we came to the table a lot earlier when it came to greening. <laughs> but we also have our wetlands, which is a little known fact. You know, we have Sungai Belo, one of the five wetlands that is protected and home to the rarest mangroves in the world. So you can take a walk or a cycle and you can escape into a rich natural landscape that will not take hours to get to. Which brings me to my next point. Connectivity. We are highly accessible on public trains and buses are clean. We're safe throughout the day and night and throughout the country. By 2035, we will have 360 kilometers of walking and cycling routes through places of interest and through some of our 300 parks. We're about 80% there. In between housing areas, you can find patches of forest that sits between a green lung, as they call it, between urban areas in keeping with the government interest in enhancing and sustaining biodiversity. But other than responding to changing trends of fitness and natural exploration, and to meet some of our promised sustainability goals, Singapore has been deep diving into reimagining its iconic attractions. We've been creating hybrid experiences and we've been experimenting with outdoor ones for the purpose of escapism on various levels. And the city is also well positioned to be an urban wellness haven. Singapore has over 2,000 spas, last I checked, in a country whose size could fit into New York. For a city or for a visitor 14 minutes away from the city center, you could be in a heartland area in one of our parks in an award-winning, highly affordable spa escape. The traveler can access to herbal, medicinal, ancient, and modern wellness practices that is safe, reliable, and have various degrees of affordability. So I'd like to conclude by saying, whether it's a business traveler, the pleasure-seeking traveler, the explorer, the modern traveler seeks primitive comforts of safety, security, accessibility, price points, and above all, authenticity beyond the physical space and place. And I like to think shamelessly that Singapore, in our green, modern, cutting edge kind of way, delivers all that. Thank you. Wow, I didn't even need to yank, yank you off. I don't know how convinced you all are, and I'm not here to sway this debate, but I am going to just add. Two of my best friends from university were from Singapore, so I've spent a bit of time there over the years. And I remember thinking, wow, if I ever have kids, I'm sending them to Singapore to be brought up. They're so nice. You didn't talk about the people. And that, genuinely, that's, that's, that's what I love about Singapore. So thank you so much. Now we're going to turn to Simon Richmond to hear about Tokyo. How does Tokyo measure up? Thank you so much. 
Okay, konbanwa. Good evening, everyone. It's my job tonight to convince you that Tokyo is truly one of the world's wonders. So, it's a place of man-made spectacle, intriguing traditions and customs, astounding natural environments, a history and culture of over a thousand years. So when people think of Tokyo, you often think of this very densely packed city, covers 2,200 square kilometers, central 23 wards are home to 40 million people. But it's actually much bigger than the, the ultimate megalopolis, a survivor of earthquakes, typhoons, horrific fires. It's a place of forests, lakes, farmlands, and 11 inhabited islands, including the one you can see on this picture, the Ogasawara Islands, a thousand kilometers south of Tokyo. You can be on a beach like this, and you can still be in Tokyo. It is the headquarters of one of the world's most dynamic and innovative economies. It is a bastion of traditional culture, beautiful aesthetics, in tune with nature. So what can you see there? Well, I'm going to choose just a couple of sites. When people think of Tokyo, they often think of the Shibuya crossing, the Shibuya scramble. You know, thousands of people, every time the lights change, flowing in rivers across this crossing in Shibuya. This is the site that you want to see when you're in Tokyo. And you know, Shibuya has been going through in a massive uh, reorganization and redevelopment in recent years. But also, I would urge you to go to the the traditional side of Tokyo, Asakusa, where you can stand underneath this enormous paper lantern in Sensoji, a temple that was established in AD 628. Um, and exploring this area, you will get to see the old Shitamachi, the low city of artisans, geishas, uh, where people really enjoy themselves when, you know, basically Singapore and New York just didn't exist. Um, it's also a city of amazing pop culture that has conquered the world. Anime, manga, kooky fashions, you name it, you can encounter it in Tokyo. One of the biggest sites of recent years has been this uh, exhibition of digital art by a Tokyo collective called Team Lab. It has people queuing around the block for the ultimate selfie experience. And right outside of where Team Lab is, you can also stand and have your photo taken in front of this 20-meter tall animatronic robot based on an, a very popular anime uh, that's known throughout Tokyo. Where else in the world can you do that? But also, where else in the world can you take part in the festival? Almost, you know, practically almost every day of the week, there's something going on in Tokyo. They're often in, uh, connected with shrines and temples. Um, and then what about the cherry blossoms? World famous, but they're not the only you know, seasonal activity that you can go to Tokyo for. There are fireworks in the summer. And also later in the summer, there are bond dances where people celebrate the dead by dancing through the streets and around the local temples and shrines. And I think one of the key things about Japan, and Tokyo in particular, that you can experience is the traditional culture. You can see geisha. Kyoto is not the only place you can see geisha. At the National Theatre, they put on dances. There are free uh, geisha shows around town as well. And of course, the sumo wrestlers are magnificent. And Kyoto doesn't have that. Tokyo has it three times a year. Then one of my favorite things to do in Tokyo is actually to get off the main highways and the main areas, places like Harajuku, Ginza, Shinjuku, you may have heard of, and go into the smaller areas, Yanaka. Uh, um, this um, uh, picture here is of Yanaka, Ginza, a very traditional area where people, you know, you see how the average person lives. You can go shopping with them. You can go into uh, neighborhoods where you can find uh, artisans who've been practicing their craft for generations. This man's creating Suzara boxes, uh, lacquer boxes they use to store kimono. There is a you know, months-long waiting list for these wonderful items. And of course, the food. I mean, what better way to access a culture than through its food? And Tokyo has one of the best food cultures in the world. And more Michelin-starred restaurants than any other city in the world, about 203 at the last count. You can eat everything from the most delicious street food, onigiri rice balls, to the highest quality sushi in Michelin-starred restaurants. There are even three Michelin-starred ramen restaurants. And then you might think in all that sort of urban environment, where's the greenery in nature? Well, there's plenty of it. There are trees, you know, people put plant pots outside their, their homes. Beautiful 300-year-old gardens created by the daimyo and samurai to stroll around. And modern parts like this one in Rupongi. 
wellness. Well, the Japanese have sort of perfected a culture of wellness. They, they live on a volcanic uh, set of islands and they dig deep into that volcanic uh, to, uh, into that, to get the thermal uh, heated waters and bathing is, real, is a real culture that you can access there. Uh, and an onsen and a sento are just a public bath. Another way is to take part in a tea ceremony, the ultimate meditative experience, you know, a way of calming yourself and just sort of taking in the moment and enjoying beautiful green tea in a great environment. And then finally, getting around the city is an absolute pleasure. There are subways everywhere. There is uh, the waterways. It's right by the, the sea. And one of the great things to do is to get in a boat designed by a manga artist and sail down the rivers to encounter Tokyo. And just the last thing I'll say, Juliet, before you hustle me off the stage, is is Tokyo truly is the ultimate city. It is whatever you want it to be. Go with the flow and you'll find yourself transported to a truly magical and unique place. Thank you, Simon. Wow, so that's a lot, that's a lot to think about. Singapore's very brave pitting itself up against uh, New York and Tokyo. So I don't know what you summarized from that or what you pulled out. I'm thinking, wow, New York brimming with charisma. Absolutely, not as much as it used to back in the 70s. But Singapore, wow, for me, nature, that's what's really speaking to me. So excited, I mean, you know, a city with that much nature in it. And Tokyo, so many people. <laughs> So thank you so much. Please think about your questions, what you'd like. Fire those at us after we've, we've chewed over what's been discussed. I'm going to throw it, throw it my panel. So what do any of the other cities have that you wish your city had? So Josh, what jumped out at you? Right. So I think for Singapore, I'd probably pick the night markets, which I visited when I was about 18 and was just blown away by. I was used to London where everything closes at about 11, or it certainly used to. Uh, so just the ability to, just the, 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 the kind of vivid, fascinating. I did eat some frog porridge, which was quite regrettable, but. Um, frog's leg porridge. Yeah, frog's leg porridge, exactly. Um, and then Tokyo, we were talking about earlier, about the ka karaoke. I'm a really, really, really big karaoke ace. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that. That's the next session, actually. <laughs> Simon. Well, obviously, um, the diversity. I mean, you don't really go to Tokyo for a cultural diversity. You get full-on Japan culture when you're there. And I'll be honest, very little of other types of cultures. Although there are aspects of that, very surprising ones. They have like a Brazilian samba carnival in the, in the summer. And you can get some of the world's best pizza, the world's best French food in Tokyo as well. So, you know, there are communities there of other cultures, but they are, it is definitely not as diverse as uh, Singapore or indeed New York, which has... Oh, London. Yeah. <laughs> but Singapore, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think yeah, that's, that's yeah. what's, for me, jumps out. Sarah? Well, Broadway. I mean, there's no two ways about it, but that was one thing that I wish Singapore had, and that was Broadway. You know, um, and for Japan, the size, we're a dot in the world map. So the size and, you know, the beauty of Japan, the perfection of their parks. I mean, they've made it into an art form, you know, so that's something I absolutely love about Tokyo. I'm not here to swear, as I said, but I will say I found Tokyo overwhelming in that way. And I do love, I did love uh, uh, Singapore. And actually, it's really one of the things about Singapore. I'm not, by the way, I've not been prepped or primed to say any of this, but it's like, it's one of the only places in the world where you actually have to go on the, on the public subway, the metro system, to experience. It's actually something worth doing. Yeah. So I find it such an easy to navigate city, anyway. And I love that. And, and you will notice, of course, that we're all not, you know, we're expatriates sometimes about the cities that we're talking about. Um, what made you, so Simon, what made you fall in love with Tokyo above all other cities? Okay, I think I fell in love with Japan when I was just a small child. I used to go to, I tell, I've often told this story, I used to go to the library and one of my favorite books was about Japanese culture. Um, and it was a picture book and I took that out many times. And so when I grew up, I, you know, I decided I would go live in, in Japan. And I went there in my mid-twenties, I went to teach English. I was already a journalist in London, but I thought I'm not gonna get a job as a journalist in Japan, I don't speak Japanese. Uh, so I went there to teach English, but uh, after a few weeks I did get a job as a journalist, as an editor. And I ended up staying for two and a half years and I absolutely loved it because it is so different from anywhere else in the world. I mean, I think, you know, this was uh, over 25 years ago now, but, uh, and we didn't have the internet, so 
cultures were much more separated then, so it was quite different. And I think when you go to Tokyo now, it's much easier. I mean, people will often ask me about going to Japan, oh, are people going to be able to understand me and will I be able to get around? And these days, yes, you can. I mean, they are, you know, they're much more connected, many more people speak English, there are more English signs and all that sort of stuff that I didn't have when I was there. So for me, as a curious person, it was a wonderful place to try and figure out and I'll never figure it out. And that's an endless challenge to a curious person. So, Sarah, I'd say, you know, how do you respond to that? How do you, you're obviously from Singapore. Why are you so passionately proud to be Singaporean? And what, what do you find people are excited by, your friends, family, visitors, colleagues, when they come there? Okay, besides the food, which is like the stopgap, I mean, every, every single person that comes to Singapore wants to explore the food, but actually it goes beyond that, right? You're exploring the culture through the food. You know, it's one place where you can have, um, you can go to Chinatown, in a row you have a mosque, a temple, uh, all in one area. You've got a rich diversity of people, um, and it's apparent everywhere. It's you know part of our um, housing policy. You know our neighbors. You can stay in any one area, and you will see a mixed bag of so many different types of cultures living side by side. Everything is celebrated. We celebrate Diwali, we celebrate Taipusam, we celebrate Chinese New Year, we celebrate Eid Mubarak. And we do it in a grand way. We don't just do it in the cultural precincts, we do it in our art centers. You know, so it's actually one of those vibrant places where you are always exposed to different things and it becomes the natural fabric of what you're surrounded by. I love that. Don't you have four official languages as well? We, our official language is Malay, um, but we do. We have Hindu, uh, I mean, so the Hind we have a few. We have Mandarin. Um, I learned Malay as a second language when I was in school. Um, and uh, right now they're a little bit more open, so they are embracing a lot more languages in schools as options. But generally, uh, you do have, it's multilingual. Everyone speaks a second language there. I love that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Josh, what are you thinking? I think it's probably just the sheer insanity of New York. Um, <laughs> I remember shortly after I left New York, I, 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 went, I moved to Washington, D.C., which is a very nice place, and I went back to New York to see my then-girlfriend, and I walked out the subway in Times Square, and my eyes just lit up, and I thought, wow. It was like going from a black-and-white movie to a colour. I mean, it's just... It's, it's that sense of kind of life being somehow on steroids and so kind of exhausting isn't it it is exhausting it is exhausting and uh but you also feel at your most alive in new york um it's like almost you feel like a phone that's just been plugged into the mains or something and everywhere else just feels a bit suburban even london even tokyo no, not Tokyo, not Tokyo. But you know, really anywhere else in America, any other city in America just feels, they, they used to say about New York that people in New York think that people who live elsewhere are kind of kidding. And, and that's sort of how you feel when you live there. There's a real arrogance to being a New Yorker. So I have an actual question. My, this is my question, and it's, it's not one that really applies to Singapore in the same way, and maybe that in itself is interesting, but you know, we want to have this as a, a genuine, uh, open conversation. In the, in the sustainability context, urbanization is obviously a big, big challenge and a problem globally in terms of the movement from rural areas to cities. How might cities 
do you think allow those arriving residents from rural areas play a more positive role by living in a city? So, I, I, you know, it's, it's a challenge. We can't have everybody living in, in cities, so we can't have that movement. Um, how do you respond to that? What do you think about that? Well, I think uh, Tokyo, as I explained at the beginning, is a, a huge area. It's a metropolitan area. It encompasses not just sort of the, you know, the, the classic urban landscape, but also villages, mountains, islands. So there is a great diversity. And even within the core of the city, you can walk a little bit off you know, the main streets, as I say, and actually encounter a paddy field, literally. You know, little plots of land where people are growing food, because that is the nature of that city. So, in a way, the village is never, you know, see, Tokyo is actually a collection of little villages, much more so than any other city I've been to, that each has its own little self sufficient society, you know, often arranged around a temple or a shrine with this little shopping street and a, a neighborhood feel. And that is wonderful. And, it, you know, so. Is, is that an answer to Yeah, it's question? really, it's actually just interesting. I didn't know that at all. I mean, I think what I find compelling about Singapore, of course, that it's much more, uh, the fact that it's much more integrated. It's not, I mean, please, but yeah. Sarah, you're. But thoughts? we don't have, I mean, we don't necessarily have that great rural area. <laughs> um, How big is Singapore? I mean, as a city state. Well, it's what, 24 by 48 kilometers wide, somewhere around there? So. 700 square, yeah, you go. <laughs> and, and it's growing all the time. <laughs> We're constantly reclaiming land. So watch this space in 20 years' time. Um, but no, it's true. We don't have the great rural area, but I think one of the things the pandemic has taught us that we have an over-reliance on imports and food security. You know, So the government has, in recent times, done a bit of a turnaround and say, look, we need to look into urban farming. We need to look at how we can sustain ourselves in a very real manner. Um, and we still have a ways to go, but at least the gap has been identified, and that's one of the good things that came out of the last two years in the grand scheme of things. And um, and we will be looking at it. But you know, in typical Singapore fashion, you're going to look at it with technology, and you're going to look at you know urban farming with a 360 degree point of view. And I fancy the way we usually do things that it will start from everything from education down to social messaging down to um, the actual practice and delivery. So they're still planning, and they've definitely kick-started, and they have goals, and knowing the country, they'll meet them. <laughs> I'm excited, definitely excited to see that develop. Now, now let me ask, have, are any of you burning to ask questions? Oh, we've got questions out there. Um, can we share some of our mics, maybe, if someone wants to? Pass those on. Thank you so much, Josh. Meanwhile, did you want to, did you oh, want yeah, to chip right. in? New, I mean, New York and the countryside. Goodness. Uh, well, no. There was a famous cartoon from the 70s. It was a New Yorker cover, and it's called The View from Ninth Avenue. I have that framed yeah, in my it's head. Pretty, yeah, it's a classic. And basically, all they can really see is sort of New Jersey and then just like, the rest of the country. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, New York does have a hinterland, and it, you know, it is part of a state. And you have the Hudson Valley, you have the Catskills, you have the Adirondacks. There, it is, New York State is enormous and very rural and very different, but the two are connected and, uh, uh, and do have a close relationship. And you can feel that as you drive out of New York into the Hudson Valley and the whole country opens up and you imagine you know, what those early settlers and merchants would have felt uh, in the 17th century when they did those journeys, or 18th century. And, and so, you know, there is a hinterland, but I'm not sure how much attention anyone pays to it. And I think we've had the, rever <laughs> we've had the, we've had the reverse trend with New York in, during the pandemic as well. A lot of people have actually left the city and moved out. So that's been a, a, different, a, a different movement or, or flow. And other people, please, difficult questions, throw them at us, so keep thinking. Thank you. Hello, uh, Martin Barrow. Thank you all for your updates on your wonderful cities. I'm afraid, Josh, of course I know New York, I've been there, but the cities I really know are in Asia because I lived there for 35 years. In fact, I walked to Singapore when I was 18 years old, L London to Singapore. It took about 14 months, I think, backpacking. <laughs> Walking is a bit of exaggeration, backpacking, but it was wonderful. I lived in Japan. That's why they Tokyo. call it a walkable city. Tokyo, Tokyo, <laughs> Tokyo 10 years, and uh, in fact, I've just been in Singapore for Christmas. It's 
place uh, for two weeks, had a wonderful time in the parks there. I have a granddaughter there, so it was wonderful to be back. The only place I've been back in Asia, and I'm longing to go to everywhere else, including yeah. Hong Kong, where I was chairman of tourism there, and I do a lot with Japan. I have an honorary thing called a Visit Japan Ambassador. Um, now, all of you talk wonderful things about your cities, but how in the in moving on from COVID, do we build the teamwork so we all work together? And it's not just cities, but countries and sectors too. You know, the hotel industry, the airline industry, we've all got to work together under what I call the branding of tech, T-E-C-H. Teamwork, engagement, collaboration and harmony. And we've got to all work together to rebuild travel and tourism and give the confidence to everybody. Thank, to thank you. Again. So, yes, that's a big question, a great one. And words I love to use are always co-competition. So cooperation between competition. Let's call the destinations, not competition, but or co-opportunity. So here we are. How does the world, how do these destinations thank you so much, work together to, sorry to borrow the Tory phrase, but the one build back better. But how do we do that? Sarah? I think on the political front, a lot of that's happening. There's a lot of talks going on about how all the different countries can coordinate a little bit better. And I think, especially in Asia, I can't speak for the whole world, but I know that there were a lot of coordination with the borders opening and um, how we can aid and abet the whole green lane and tourism and um, but I think I'm not too sure whether or not we're at a place where we're actively going to be that we're going to have that level of cooperation between countries per se because there is and has always been a healthy rivalry in Southeast Asia <laughs> um, in the grand scheme of things you know and uh, it's a hard one. It's a hard one uh, for, I think, the entire tourism industry to coordinate and come together. Mind you, Singapore's really good at organizing things. Well, and modeling <laughs> and modeling things. Like, as you said, you are innovating and there's yes. tech and you're showing how a city can function in, in a fresh way, in a new way. So I think always modeling and open sourcing that or... Yeah. I think you can learn lessons from what everyone is doing, you know, and take on board what, you know, what uh, are some of the ideas that are coming out. But to cooperate on such a massive level, I think that's near impossible. I'm going to ask you, Josh. Come on. New, new United Nations. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I think that America in terms of travel was a disaster during the pandemic. They had this ludicrous travel ban that went on far, far too long. And I wrote various incandescent pieces about it that no one listened to. But, um, you know, it can be a very insular place. I think with America, you have to appeal to the better angels of their nature, as they say. So to try and tease America out into the world. And, and, the, and the campaign against the travel ban was a good example of that. It was a kind of unified campaign with the airlines and travel companies in America and people who weren't able to travel back and forth who were apart from their families. And eventually, it got through to the Americans, uh, mainly through diplomacy, the embassies, the French embassy, the UK embassy, that actually they were really upsetting people and they hadn't noticed and they, and they should. They should care about it. So I think to get America to cooperate is about appealing to their more cosmopolitan uh, nature uh, which is there. I also just think, you know, after 9-11, we saw all this kind of security theatre. Some of it was needed, much of it wasn't. I think with the pandemic, we have a lot of hygiene theatre in airports. Again, some of it needed and some of it essential, some of it not. I think we've got to make a real point of not just letting things exist just because they have done. I think we need to chip away at the stuff that isn't useful anymore. We learn more and more about things at COVID every day. I think we need to make sure that we're smart and flexible and don't just get stuck in these ruts which frankly at the moment make travel a bit of a headache for a lot of people yeah well thank you i mean i think yeah global challenges require global participation together um are there any other questions we can open up to um some more did you feel strongly simon you wanted to comment did you have the answer uh, i most certainly do not have the answer <laughs> <laughs> to that question and unfortunately japan is still closed to the average tourist uh, well any tourist wow. it, it, really uh, yes you they have not opened for tourism uh, you can go as a business traveler but not as a tourist 
Um, so they've taken an ultra-cautious approach to this. Uh, and in terms of cooperation with the countries, I agree with Sarah. I mean, you know, they're competing for tourists. Before the pandemic happened, there were they were at about 50, just over 15 million tourists a year to, to Tokyo, which was quite a big deal. And they've been putting a lot of money and effort into increasing tourism to Japan right. because it is out there on the edge. And it is an effort for many people, particularly from, from Europe or from America, to get there. Um, but they've been really getting a lot of tourists from Asia. I mean, Singaporeans love it, don't they? Yeah. And um, you know, even the people in Singapore so, and tourism uh, told me they love it. So, yeah. so. <laughs> so, so that's one way is supporting each other through in terms of t tourism and, and travel. And, and we have another thank you so much question. Hi, uh, so. And not sorry, just to say, don't forget, you can all tweet us. Anyone who wants to tweet us, please comment using the hashtag IQ2 and hashtag visit Singapore. Sorry, bring us your question. No, thank you. And thanks, everyone, for a very interesting conversation, if not very entertaining at times. But I have a question. At times, we can do better, guys. <laughs> you got me. Um, it's directed at Simon, but it'd be great to open it up afterwards. So um, I love Japan. I spent just a year there studying abroad in Tokyo. Um, and before I challenge you on something, I'd like to say what I love. The juxtaposition between the modern and the traditional, it's beautiful. I don't think you can have that in any other city where they're side by side. And I think that the cultural resilience against modern life is something to really commend. Having said that, when I traveled and stayed in the city, it was quite difficult to feel at home. There is perhaps a sense of insularity about living in Tokyo. Um, and it's hard to break in. Where were you, li where were you living in the city? Waseda. Waseda, okay. Oh, you were at university then? I was at university, yeah. And I know that this is a feeling that's perhaps echoed across. So really, how does the modern traveler like break into a city with such a huge city, you know, in the perspective of wellness, which we're talking about now? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. I mean, part of the attraction for me anyway, and it won't be an attraction for everyone, is that sort of mysteriousness, that in unknowability uh, of Japan, that it really is other. Um, and I mean, there's a lot that is familiar because Japanese culture has been tremendously successful. It's soft power, you know, the anime, the manga, movies, have just you know, pop music, fashion, as I say, have gone global. So people come there and they feel they know it. And there's a lot that does feel familiar. And then you realise, oh no, it's actually very different to our, our Western style culture, indeed. And um, and you can feel sort of excluded. Uh, but I, I would just approach that with a curiosity. And I found the Japanese people always extremely polite and welcoming and hospitable uh, to me. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry if you felt differently. No, I don't mean um, really to, to think that. But no, that, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what I tried to communicate in my presentation was that, as I said, the, the Tokyo you see, you, you, it's up to you. Whatever Tokyo you want, it's out there to find and just you just step a little bit off the highway and you might find what you're looking for or you might find something completely different that surprises you and delights you thank you i think that's true isn't it? it's pros and cons and i think i actually didn't i experienced that in tokyo too i'm told that if i'd gone there with someone who was from there i would have experienced it very differently as an outsider and i think with new york and singapore you can probably throw yourself in you don't need to have that, know somebody who lives there or is from there, to, it's just it's more accessible. So some people will find that appealing, some people won't. But um, I think that's. Yeah, that's I, great. I, I'm, I'm pushing myself here, but I would say buy a guidebook. <laughs> you know, it'll help would, you. I Read also, it before you go. Try and understand a little bit about the culture you're going to. I completely. By the way, I actually really. I still read actual paper guidebooks. I really do, cover to cover. I just travelled from London to Lisbon by train, and I just. I, there's nothing like them. You don't get the same experience on, online. I'm, I'm honestly. So, um, other questions, please. And do ask more difficult questions. We've got one more. Thank you so much. Hi. Um, two things. Um, could you talk about the importance of unexpected kind of serendipity moments versus predictability in making a city great? Um, I think you have very different uh, examples, especially between New York and Singapore. Um, and also a little bit about the role of density and how it has kind of challenged these cities into becoming what they are. Who would like to answer that? Yes, Josh. Um, 
there's a much loved movie about New York that I actually don't know very much called Serendipity but I think the fact that it exists is quite revealing it is a city that um, that thrives off the spontaneous I think partly it's a willingness to just strike up conversation at a bar and see where the night leads you and there is that sense of possibility and I think actually in a funny way that spontaneity and density are kind of connected you can just walk out of your apartment and walk into a dive bar one block away and have an experience an unusual encounter something you didn't expect and I think the two connect there because it's so dense you don't really even have to think about where to go a lot of the time it's a grid you just kind of let the city sweep you away so I I, I, I but I do think it's and, and London, on the, on the other hand, is, I would say, a harder place to have a spontaneous time, particularly since COVID, because everything's booked up years in advance. But, you know, when, as a culture in, in, in Britain, we're a little bit standoffish. I think we all look a little bit horrified if someone talks to us that we don't know. Um, we can be friendly eventually, but, um, it's true. but I think New York certainly lends itself to that conversation. It also helps, frankly certainly as, a, as, a, as an English person, that, that, that they do sort of speak some sort of type of English. It's Sarah, how would you respond to that? Because I've heard Singapore described as the Switzerland of Asia, and you know, we know Switzerland likes to stay on time, very organised. How does that translate? We're very neutral. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, we've got, we've, uh, to be quite honest, we've got this whole Asian hospitality, right? So if you do engage with somebody, they truly welcome you, and they will welcome you into their homes, you know, and that's the kind of engagement you can potentially have in the country, which is quite different when, for a few other cities, you know what I mean, where there will be a barrier. I met you at the restaurant. That conversation, that relationship will stay at that restaurant. Um, the chances of you being invited to somebody's home is very high. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's again, about the do you feel at home. That's lovely. Did we have time? I'm so sorry. I didn't, we have time for one more very quick question. Very quick question. Thank you. Um, whoever's got, there you are you're, you're the kingmaker. thank you so we have one more question and then don't forget we've got one minute closing statement to each of you to make a case so thank you very much what's your question? Just really quickly I, um, we've all been very positive and that's lovely I would each like to know each one of you must have gone to a city that you never ever want to go and see ever again <laughs> which, is, which is a place that you just would be you, you, know, you would just be oh, delighted if you never ever got an air ticket there ever again that is a great question. I'm just trying to... I'm going to have to process that for a minute. I've been... Because I'm, I'm from the Sunday Times. I'm going to direct that to Josh first. Thanks, John. Um, <laughs> I would say Salvador in Brazil, mostly because I got a gun put to my head and all my stuff stolen, and I've never been massively inclined to go back. So sorry if there's any Salvadorians in I'm here. Gonna, I'm gonna say San Juan. I've just been there in Costa Rica, really sorry. Absolutely love Costa Rica. San Juan has got nothing to speak for. Honestly, I go Anyway, so there we are, sorry. Um, that's mine. Um, Simon, quickly, who are you gonna throw completely? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Back in the 1980s, a long, a long time before I was a, a travel guidebook writer, I had a holiday in Indonesia, and it was a lovely holiday. Uh, but the last day we spent in Jakarta, oh. uh, and Jakarta was a real hellhole at that time. I'm sorry. But I, I'm sure it's improved enormously. In fact, I've actually sort of written a guidebook to, to, to Jakarta since. So it has improved. <laughs> No, I don't, yeah, I think... But in 1980s, it was no good. You sit in traffic a lot of the time. It's notorious for that. Sarah, so, yeah, okay, one. So and then we're going to have one more me, question. For my, me, um, my first encounter with India, unfortunately, was when there were the riots going on. And uh, other than that, it, the fact that it took me, like... Delhi. Delhi. And uh, it took a phenomenal... It, the, I think the juxtaposition of the congestion and uh, the ability or the challenges of moving around. And the air quality. And the air Sorry. quality. Sorry. So Sorry, I, I must okay. say, I mean, I'm not, you know, I've, I've been back a few times and they made some very, very small strides. <laughs> All right, but I must say that's a city is not going to be on my top 10 list in the next 20 years. <laughs> so, okay, and, and we are going to bring things back up now on a positive note. <laughs> one more question, very, one more question, which you think will elicit a very powerful, meaningful, profound answer. Thank you. <laughs> He's not so sure now. <laughs> Where can you get a really nice burger? No, I'm joking. <laughs> 
Thanks. Hopefully it might help the argument, and it's been great. Thank you. But which person, celebrity or otherwise, best represents the place that you are seeking to support tonight? Wow. So which celebrity best rep personifies um, your city? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Simon, you can answer that. Who, Tokyo? Uh, well, I... The person who immediately comes to mind is Yayo Kusama, uh, the artist who is famous for the, her dotty um, artworks, most famously the pumpkin with dots on it. Uh, but she had... Um, <laughs> so I time up. Yes. <laughs> Um, she has, a, she has a, a museum that's opened in Tokyo, um, and it's tremendously popular. Um, but she actually she lives in a mental institution, um, and her art is a way of expressing her inner turmoil. And Tokyo, when you look at it just at face value, you feel it's chaotic and crazy and maddening. But actually, when you look at it a bit closer, you realize there's a harmony and a, 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 an in, a, a deep connection with nature and a respect for traditions and all these wonderful things that have come about. I'm giving you my closing speech here. But, but all well, these, I, that's good. All these we're, wonderful we're running things out of time. that have come that's about good. through <laughs> a, a thousand years of development. I just want to say this again. A thousand years of development. You know, <laughs> Singapore and you know, New York did not exist in those days. So yeah, that's, that's the person. I would choose. Thank you so much. That is great. And, and Sarah, maybe if you can intertwine it with your closing remarks, your poster person as well, that would be great. It's a bit hard to have a poster person for Singapore, you know what I mean? Because there's not the single person that can naturally... Um, oh, well, I was going to... Well, he leaked on you. <laughs> no, he led the country from, you know, the colonial times to where it is right now. And that's a person that a lot of people does respect. But in terms of a massive celebrity to represent Singapore, I think that's a very hard one because no single individual can potentially do that adequately. You know, um, because we're... And I'm going to weave my closing statement here. You know, we are um, a cultural hotpot. You know, we have a cosmopolitan outlook. We are constantly evolving. We are a young nation. We have not arrived. We're getting there. We're, we think we're getting there. And we're constantly experimenting and innovating. And for us, you know, um, it's a journey. And uh, I think everyone who comes and keeps coming to us will see different aspects of Singapore. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Josh? Well, one obvious answer is uh, Donald Trump. Um, oh, no. We can't end on but, that. But I'm not, but I'm not sure that's going to win me the debate. Singapore great um, again. <laughs> I'm not sure that'll win me the debate. I might, I might say, I mean, there's so many celebrities. I might say, actually, uh, the notorious B.I.G., Biggie, who was the real sort of scribe of New York. And if you want to really sense the kind of energy and the power of life in that city, I think the lyrics and music of, of Biggie, so put that one on your way home. Look, you know, if, you, if, if this was 100 AD and you were saying, where were you going to live in the world? You'd live in Rome, but it's not. It's 2022. You should live in New York. It's the place to be. You know, it's, it's, um, it's hard. It's challenging, it's expensive, it's dirty, it's loud, and it's the best city in the world, and it ain't even close. <laughs> wow, thank you so, so much to our panelists today. So many thoughts, and thank you, Singapore, for hosting it.